I'm so pleased to be able to introduce to you Michael Aitchison. Michael, come on up. We got to know one another when Oak Mountain started supporting his church plant down in Orlando. But the cool thing was we have a lot of friends in Orlando. They speak very highly of this guy. And the longer I've gotten to know him, the more I realize they were not exaggerating. Michael is here with his wife, Lucy, who grew up in Mountain Brook. And they have very four very southern daughters, Leah Jean, Annie Celeste, Carissa Joy, and Hannah Mae. And brother, we're glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. So, so glad to be here. Um, yes, you, you heard my, my tribe is here with me this morning. But there are also some other folks with me. My, my in-laws are here. My mother and father-in-law are joining us this morning along with my brother-in-law and uh, his wife. So, and this is just one division of the Bergen family. Very large family, very large family. To give you an idea, when my brother-in-law came into the family, uh, there were, we had a Christmas here, and about two and a half hours passed by, and the second to last cousin came and introduced themselves as he stood next to me <laughs> seeking comfort. Well, I am, I, I, I'm so honored to be here with you all this uh, morning. Uh, it's, uh, we bring greetings from Christ United Fellowship down in Orlando, Florida. We are so grateful for the partnership that we have with you all. As I told Tom in the first service, he and I are still brothers in the Lord, even though Georgia gave my Wildcats a hard time yesterday. And for those of you Tide fans who laugh, just remember, we had the bear first. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please stand as Psalm 87 is read into your hearing. And thank you to the worship team. Oh, how my soul has been blessed being here this morning. Um, if you're at Psalm 87, you will find these words recorded. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God, Selah. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there, Selah. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Let us pray. Our great God and King, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for your word and all the promises contained therein. We ask now that you would send forth your spirit to help us Grant us understanding. Open the eyes of our hearts. Remove the veil off of blind eyes. Remove the block out of deaf ears and turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Oh, Lord, I ask that you would empower me now for this, your service. May my words be faithful to you. And what is not of you, let it fall to the ground. Not to us, O oh Lord, be the glory. Not to us, but to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I am from the great nation of South Florida. 
uh, famously known for a lot of culture, a lot of food, a lot of sports, a whole lot of good things. Uh, And one of those major sports for which South Florida is known is football. Football is one of the kings down in South Florida, particularly Miami, where I'm from. And it's not uncommon to see all those things about which South Florida is known to converge on a football game. Football games ran from Wednesday evening on Wednesday afternoon after school all the way through Saturday down in South Florida. And oftentimes at the night games as stadiums are packed, upwards of 20 to 30,000 people in the old Orange Bowl where the Miami Dolphins used to play. You would hear Bahamian Junkanoo bands, you'd hear reggae music, you'd hear salsa and merengue playing in the stands and all around the community. So a lot of spectacular things happened at these football games. Uh, Football uh, revealed the competitive nature of our area. In fact, we were so competitive uh, that we had, we, we, we have long-standing rivalries that have spanned about 50, 60 years. And when the season comes, they intensify. Uh, people in surrounding neighborhoods, whether you are right across the street or five miles away, would give each other the cold shoulder. We'd be harsh to each other at times during football season to give you an idea of what we're talking about. And we would show up in our jerseys to the other teams' games that we were going to play the following week. Yes, that's how serious rivalries and tensions were uh, around football in South Florida. Now, it included some other things. Uh, Certain schools would sneak into other schools and play pranks, maybe steal trophies, maybe, you know, make a mess here and there uh, just to communicate to the other school that it's coming your way, get ready, Uh, you know. And then as the season progressed, depending on who ended up on top and how they got there, where the cheating was involved, tensions escalated. Now, you got a full snapshot of this when the all-county selections and practices took place. You would see guys come from multiple schools with their decals on their helmets representing Uh, their school, and they would mean mug each other. Uh, There would be trash talking in the locker room, and there would be hard hits on the field. Keep in mind, the all-county game usually uh, took place about two, maybe three weeks right after the season. So tensions were still high. But whenever the game, whenever we got close to game time, and we all put on the same jersey, something special happened. You see, the realization dawned upon us that even though we descended from different schools as represented by our helmets, we, with great rivalries, might I add, we were a part of a bigger family with one mission and one focus. And so it is with our text this morning. The psalmist rejoices. The psalmist rejoices about the city of God that is being built by God from a broad cross-section of people from multiple backgrounds and different hostilities. And so this morning, I want us to navigate the canonical contours of this psalm and uh, see how Christ, how this points to Christ and how this applies to our life even now. 
And so I have three points for us this morning. I am a PCA pastor, and you, <laughs> you all know we are famous for pulling three points out of a one-point sermon. Amen? All right. So the dwelling of God, point one, the people of God, point two, and the worship of God, point three. The dwelling of God, the people of God, and the worship of God. And we see the dwelling of God in verses one through three. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. And so we see the psalmist uh, unearthing or illustrating this glorious uh, physical geographical region where this special city is that's founded by God. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. What is this place Zion all about? Zion is the poetic name for Jerusalem. This was the city where God was located in a special way, where his presence was uniquely situated compared to all the other places in the land. And what made this place special, what made it unique was because God set his affection upon it, was because he dwelled there. Remember, in Jerusalem, the temple was there where God dwelled. The same Shekinah glory that fell upon the tabernacle, that fell into Solomon's temple. This is what we're talking about. The presence of God was concentrated there in a unique way. Jerusalem was the center for theological education. This is where God's people made their pilgrimages daily for the feasts and for the festivals. It was the spiritual epicenter of God's people. And so it was a special place. And the psalmist says that God loved this place more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob, all the other dwelling places of Israel. And why is that? It's purely out of his love, purely out of his divine prerogative. Not because of anything that was special about this particular location. What made it special, as I said, was God chose to set his affection upon this particular place. And John Calvin helps us understand this. He says, the prophet then points out the cause why God preferred that one place before all others. And the cause which he assigns is not the worth of the place itself, but the free love of God. If it is demanded why Jerusalem was so highly distinguished, let this short answer be deemed sufficient because it so pleased God. And what we have here is an illustration of God's salvific love for us. Why did God decide to set his affection upon us wretched old sinners? Why did God decide to save us? Why did God decide to rebirth us, make us, recreate us, and dwell inside us? I have no idea. It's out of his free love. And for that, I just praise him. And for that, you should praise him. Simply because it's out of his free love that he decided to dwell in old sinners like ourselves. He's a merciful and good God. And we see that there are other glorious things that Psalmist tells us in 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion is the far north, the city of the great king. Not only do we see the dwelling of God that points to the earthly dwelling that points to a glorious heavenly dwelling, but we also see the people of God. Verses four through six, the center of our passage. Among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab, 
and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. Let's put a pause right there. Among those who know me, what is going on right here in this particular verse? The psalmist is revealing to us God's program of salvation. When we see here this word in the Hebrew, no, it does, it, it, it carries the idea of among those who reverence me, among those who worship me, among those who obey me, among those who love me, among those who are in relationship with me. It is not just simple familiarity with or knowledge about God. This is intimate relation with, relationship with, intimacy with God. And so what must we say about these, uh, about this program, about these people who know God intimately. God's redeemed community is cross-cultural, is a cross-cultural reconciliatory mosaic. Let me say that again. God's redeemed community is a cross-cultural reconciliatory mosaic of people. Look at the names of the na nations that are mentioned right here. Rahab, this is the nickname for Egypt. It's also the poetic name for a mythical sea creature that characterizes Egypt. Now, we don't have to be great Bible scholars to know that Egypt has a significant place in redemptive history. Egypt was the nation, the great world power that oppressed God's people. And when petitioned, they increased the labor and followed after God's people, pursued God's people to take them out. Egypt, when we study the Bible, oftentimes is synonymous with tyranny, synonymous with oppression, synonymous with evil. These were fierce enemies of God's people. We see Babylon here. Daniel tells us that Babylon besieged Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They hijacked the best and the brightest to serve in the king's court. These were fierce enemies of God's people. The Philistines. Or depending on where you're from, the Philistines. Do we need to say much about them? Do we see here what the psalmist is saying to us? If you haven't figured it out by now, these were oppressive, destructive enemies of God's people. Tyre and Cush. Okay, Canaanite countries. Countries located in the Nubia region. All co-conspirators to destroy God's people. And so we see here that they are a diverse group of people, different ethnicities, different cultures, different nations, and even enemies of God's people who are said one day to be family members of God's people. Israel sang this in worship. Israel celebrated a day where the very people that oppressed them would sit at the dinner table and dine with them as they worship the living and true God. This was one of those songs and you had a, a party and the record is playing. And they say, oh, so-and-so is coming to the party too. And he goes, <laughs> Baba who? Egypt who? Ray who? That's what the psalmist is bringing to our attention. That, that people who were once enemies will become family members. And they come from a diversity of backgrounds. Not only that, but God's redeemed people hold a dual citizenship. It says here in verse 4b, this one was born there, they say. Skip down, verse 5b, this one 
and that one were born in here. That word in the Hebrew is Yalad, born is Yalad. Even though these people uh, um, originate from a different region, different, nation, different nationality than God's people, this word carries the idea that it is as though they were born in Jerusalem. When God says that this one and that one will be born in them, they hold a dual citizenship. It's as a child who has parents from one country, yet they're born in another country, and they're able to retain all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of both countries. And notice here that these people who are born in Zion, these people who are born in God's city, there is no cultural, racial, or national uh, nationality erased. No erasing is taking place. God is redeeming people as they are from their culture, from their nationality, from their race, and bringing them into this city to worship him. That's important. That's important because what we don't want to do is engage in cultural hegemony. Say that in order to worship with me, you have to be just like me culturally. No, God is saying that my city will consist of people who come from a broad, a diversity, a myriad of backgrounds. And when he says this one and that one, what's going on here? This is an idiomatic expression that captured, that's a catch-all phrase. The idea is all of these people, all of these nations. And we see this here in Psalm 86, verse 9. It says, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Saints, do we see that? All the nations that God has made will one day come before him and worship him and glorify him. The Bible is very clear about that. It's, it's unequivocally clear. There's no mincing words. The psalmist says all the nations. Then he reiterates it here in Psalm 87 that this glorious city will be filled with people from a multitude of nations. Now understand this. When you are reading Hebrew, you will not find any exclamation points. You just won't. But you will find repetition. And whenever you see a theme repeated over and over again, that is the psalmist saying, wake up, listen to me. Look what I'm trying to tell you. Something significant is happening here. God is presenting us with the glorious picture of the city that he is creating. In verse 6, it reinforces the same themes that are already mentioned in verses 4 and 5. But what we have here is uh, the Lord depicted as recording in his registry all those who were born in Zion. So we stop for one second. We say, Pastor, well, it says that it will already be said of them. So is it done or is it not done? Well, in God's mind, it's already done. It's fixed. It's, it's settled. It, there's no question about it. The psalmist said it's going to happen. In God's mind, it is going to happen. But what we have here is the outworking of it in history. And so when the Lord records, it says, though, um, it's as though you were starting the first day of school. I, I grew up in Miami, Florida, as I indicated in the introduction, back in the 50s. Okay, we got a few people listening. No, I'm really not that old. Some of y'all probably thinking, man, he found a fountain of youth. Um, but my wife and I, we were born in, in the wrong time. We were born with old souls. Many of our dear friends are older than us. They're old enough to be our parents and old enough to be our grandparents. We love gray hair. There is safety in the counsel of gray-haired folks. Amen? Yes, Lord. Tell the truth and shame the devil. And so on the first day of school, we would have 
a slip sent to our house. And that slip would tell you what bus you were riding. It would also tell you who your teacher was going to be. And then once you arrived at the school, Palmetto Elementary was one of the elementary schools I attended. We had these old glass cases. And when you went through the hallway, you would see a registry of names. You would enter that classroom and then you would take a seat and the teacher would have a slip in their hand. And they would go down the list and they would call your name and it would it would match with the slip that you received, thereby authenticating that you were a member of that class or a member of that family. So it is in the mind of God. So it is with our salvation. It is done in the mind of God. And at our conversion, when we are brought into the family, it is authenticated. It is realized in time and space and in history. So we see here this great dwelling of God. We see the people of God. Now, let's look at the worship of God. Verse 7 says to us, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. And saints, of course, of course, celebration is fitting for a passage that assures God's people that he is sovereign over all the nations, that he's sovereign even over the nations that sought to destroy his people, that one day they will come and they will dine and they will feast together and they will celebrate as family members. This is a celebratory passage. This is a song that was used in the life of Israel's worship and it encouraged their hearts, but it was also hope for the nations. It was also reminded that the nations would not go on in darkness because God had a plan for them as well beyond the walls of ethnic Israel. And then we see here this imagery of springs. What is the psalmist saying to us about these springs? The springs here are representative of life, of fertility, of healing, of growth, of creation. And if you'll remember in Ezekiel, he tells us uh, in Ezekiel uh, 47, we see him traveling through the, he's led to the temple. And then all of a sudden he sees water coming out, springing forth from the altar. And it's going in this direction. And it's going in that direction, north, east, south. And every single thing that the water touched, it gave life to the, that thing. It refreshed that thing. When the water invaded the sea, it became fresh. Everything. And what Ezekiel is saying to us in that passage is not just that the Spirit of God or anything that the Spirit of God touches morally will be renewed, but that God is going to renew his entire creation. There are cosmic implications for the Spirit of God coming in contact with his creation. So life is given to anything that touches that water. And that's an image of God's glory. That's an image of his sovereignty, of his rule over his entire cosmic order that he is redeeming. He's not just changing us morally. He is going to change the very fabric of the land, renew the fabric of the land on which we now dwell. He's going to do this by the power of his spirit, by the power of his presence. It's happening even now this very moment as we gather. The psalmist tells us in 46 that there's a city, there's a river that makes glad the city of God. Why is it that this city is so glorious? Why is it that people celebrate in this city? It's because the presence of God is there. And when we worship God, that is life-giving. 
The worship of God is our highest goal in life. It's our chief end to enjoy him, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so when we look at the excitement that is in this city, we see that it, the cause of it is the presence of God. Now, in light of this psalm, Israel should have been a witness to the nations. They should have been a witness to the nations. And we see shades of this starting to roll out throughout redemptive history. We see harbingers of this with God-fearing proselytes following the true and living God of Israel. But ultimately, saints, this is fulfilled in none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that Christ is the offspring of Abraham through all the families of the earth are blessed. In other words, what Paul is saying is that anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what's your background or how great your sin, if you place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be blessed with salvation. Say amen, church. It's all bound up. All of these promises, all these realities are bound up in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us now, church? What does it mean for us now? Jesus has just come and we just wait till he comes back. No, this has implications for us right now. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that the consequence, the consequence, one of the consequences of Jesus Christ's redemptive work is that we who were once under God's wrath, we who were once enemies of God, now have peace with him. We have been brought out of darkness into light. We have been brought back from death to life. And Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, that there's also a horizontal implication, a horizontal consequence of the redemptive work of Christ. He says now that the dividing wall of hostility has been R-A-Z-E-D, that's raised, that's torn down in Jesus Christ. In the body of Jesus Christ, in his death, the wall has been torn down and we now have peace with each other. We who were once at odds with each other now have peace for we are one in Christ. And Paul goes on to say that Christ is building one body through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's building one man through the work of the Holy Spirit. One man. One man that's a mosaic of people. And he's doing this work through the ministry of his body right here on earth, the church. God is building a mosaic of people through the work of the Holy Spirit by means of his church. You and I, his body right here on earth, tangibly. We are being used by the Holy Spirit to build this mosaic. And so how does this story end? How does this psalm ultimately end? John tells us in Revelation 7, 9, and in 22 how this grand story ends. He says, after this, I looked and behold a multitude that no man, a, a multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. What were they doing? Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Listen, saints. John is saying, if you're wondering how this Psalm 87 ends, 
Because let me give you a snapshot. The Lord in his kindness to us says, this is how the story ends. I will have people who look different, people who sound different, people with varying degrees of financial resources, people with varying degrees of educational acumen, different ethnicities, different cultural affiliations, all standing around my throne, worshiping the Lamb. And so the question is, if we know how the story is going to end, why wait? We have permission to start rehearsing right now. Why wait? We know how it's going to end. We might as well not fight it. We might as well catch God's vision for what he's doing in the here and now, church. In the here and now. He tells us in Revelation 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Brightest crystals flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. Yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Saints, do you see why those dancers were so excited? Not only did they envision a day where God would bring in a diversity of people into his city, but they saw the glory of this city, the presence of God and the impact that it had. It's a life-giving city. There's no more pain in that city. There's no more sorrow in that city. There's no more death in that city. Anyone who in, is in that city in contact with God will have life in perpetuity, life forevermore. No more sickness, no more COVID. None of those things in this city. The psalmist was rejoicing. They were rejoicing because they knew a glorious day was coming. And John tells us, that all this is bound up in Christ. And John tells us that this is how the story ends. This glorious city, Zion, that earthly Zion pointed to the greater reality where God will dwell forevermore, right here on earth. The new heavens and the new earth. The re recreated creation. In some glorious way, God is going to make all the rights wrong. He's going to make all the crooked paths straight forevermore. And what we see as Birmingham right now, who knows what it will look like when Jesus gets done. But it's coming. And we might as well start rehearsing these things right now. If I may, let me just offer a few applications for our consideration. How do we live in light of what Christ has done for us and is still doing right now until he returns? How do we live? I want to propose that we take advantage of the opportunity to pursue relationships with people uh, and show hospitality to people who are different than us. Take advantage of the opportunity to show hospitality to and do relationship with people who are different than us. According to the United States Census, we are in a great moment right now in history. Right now, Oak Mountain, you are in a great moment in history because our national demographic is changing. And so God is saying, you don't have to go search for the opportunity to love on somebody different than you. I'm going to bring the opportunity right to your church step. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, minorities now one-third of the population are expected to be majority by 2042. 
and 54% by 2050. And by 2023, they will comprise more than half of all children. Oak Mountain, you are here at a strategic point in history to see, to see this psalm carried out, to see God's plan carried out in a very unique way. God is doing something right before our very eyes. We have no need to run. We have no need to fear. We need to press in to these realities because God is making it about as easy as it could possibly be for us. We have the opportunity to be great domestic missionaries right here in our own land. Not to the expense or neglect of foreign missions, but this is U.S. Missions Week. Amen, Pastor Tom? So let me tell you how you can be a U.S. missionary. Look at these stats. This change is right here upon us. A lot of people are up in arms about the crisis on the border. But I wonder what would happen if we got down on our knees in prayer about the border. What would happen if we were as passionate about evangelizing the people who are coming across our border as we are about border policy? I wonder what God would do with it. And I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I'm not here to tell you how to advocate for what policy. I'm here to advocate for evangelism. My policy is evangelism. That's what I'm here to do. Campaign for evangelism. Are you actively pursuing these opportunities as much as you are angry about broken policy? And if you are not, if you are not, I want to maintain this morning that that's something you might need to take to the Lord in prayer. I would that we be as fervent in trying to reach people coming across as we are about political policy. And who knows what the Lord might do. We might see a revival break out south of the border in the meantime. How might God be calling you to pursue someone that is your real or perceived enemy with the gospel? How mighty this morning. God welcomed nations that oppressed his people. God welcomed nations that oppressed his people. And here we are canceling each other in the church because we have political differences. Lord, have mercy. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. God invited oppressive nations and we rule each other out because we vote differently. Lord, we need revival. Let it begin in us. You see, the Lord will not allow us to remain comfortable with ethnic, racial, or cultural discrimination in practice or in our hearts, saints. He won't allow us to remain, remain comfortable there. And if you say this morning, and if you found this sin to be real in your life, then let me say the gospel is for you. Let me say that Jesus died for that sin too. If you have prejudice in your heart, if you have discrimination of any of those guys I just named in your heart or in practice, the gospel is for you. Jesus nailed that to the cross as well, and he wants you to repent and be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit and catch God's vision for that area of your life, church. Is there a witness? But if I could, before I take my seat, let me just affirm you, Oak Mountain. I'm so encouraged, so encouraged 
by your initiatives. I'm so encouraged by your areas of investment. When I look at that screen, my heart, that makes my heart race because I am tangible evidence, tangible evidence of your generosity. We planted a cross-cultural church by God's grace that's being blessed in a litany of ways. And that's in part through your generosity. And I believe that God wants to use you all to do amazing things here. I'm so, my heart is so worn by your emphasis on mercy, on justice, on holistic approaches to evangelism, on reaching the college students because they are the future, supporting organizations that want to promote human flourishing, that want to be about economic development, tearing down systems of oppression and giving people the opportunity to flourish in their fullest capacity. That warms my heart and may the Lord cause you by his grace to excel in those endeavors because it's good and it honors the Lord. And by so doing, you are giving people a taste, a taste of heaven a taste of the healing to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, we ask that you would seal these words to our heart so that we would serve you with joyful obedience. And God, we pray that you would Bless Oak Mountain in their endeavors. We pray that you will bear much fruit um, as it relates to their missions, to the praise of your glory and the advancement of your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me now to receive the Lord's blessing? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.